Uh, we're going to read Jonah chapter 1 again. Uh, uh, I'm kind of taking a little bit of a different approach to this particular teaching series uh, than some series in the past, and uh, I'm not exactly sure what that different approach is. It just seems like it's a different approach, but let's go ahead and jump in with verse 1, all right, shall we? Uh, reading all the way through the end of chapter 1 again. We're reminded that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, son of Amidi. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him, and he said, "'How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God.'" Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where, what is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? I said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they, they took Jonah. They threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Well, last week we began this series and we made it several verses in. We made it to the point to where we uncovered and we realized that Jonah was living a life of rebellion. That, he, that God had given him instructions and Jonah instead said no. And Jonah went the other way. We can only imagine <clears throat> what must have been going through Jonah's mind as the boat that is heading to Tarshish is pulling out of harbor. Right? What, what, what was Jonah thinking at that point in time? It almost seems as if in, in Jonah's mind, 
as he boards the ship and as it sets sail and as they're floating a little ways into the sea that Jonah maybe was thinking to himself, I made it. My, my plan is working better than I thought it would. Boy, do I need some sleep, right? And so Jonah is thinking, where can I go to find a comfortable place to get some shut-eye as he's running away from the Lord? And this is where we find Jonah as we rejoin what is a true story of Jonah, chapter 1. Believing this to be a, a true account that Jonah most likely wrote looking back on his life, Last Sunday, as we began our series, uh, one of the themes that we discussed, uh, one of the primary themes of this book is indeed God's mercy. Again, Michael and the team, they've led us, we've sung about God's mercy. Oftentimes, we think of God's mercy almost as a care package, right? Some of you college students, when you go off to college, it's nice. And y'all don't get mail like maybe your parents used to back in the day, but right, sometimes you get a care package if you're a college student. And, and inside that care package, maybe someone sends you cookies. Yeah, maybe they're a, a week old by now, but it's the thought that counts. But you get this, this care package, and inside is just all of these wonderful essentials, all of these wonderful things that just seem to arrive just in time to give you that boost of encouragement that you need. And oftentimes when we think about God's mercy, we think about God's mercy almost as being a, a care package that is neatly wrapped up, that arrives just in time with just what we need. Uh, oftentimes we think of God's mercy coming to us in a very gentle form. We think of God's mercy as being some sort of relief or some sort of rest. But what we're going to uncover today, and I, what I believe Jonah's account shows us, is that God's mercy comes to us in other forms as well. I think it does come to us as a care package at times, right? But also what we're going to see this morning is that God's mercy is actually going to come to Jonah in the form of a severe, a, a severe storm, all right? It's, a, it's what C.S. Lewis refers to as God sending a severe mercy. You see, we have to understand that when we run in rebellion, and remember this, when we turn from God's word, and when we run in rebellion against it, what we're running into is hardship. Right? We think, Jonah is probably thinking as he's on that ship, and as he's headed to Tarshish, boy, I finally made it. And he's thinking that he's now, he's now headed toward the life that, that he wants, right? that his sinful heart wants. But little does Jonah know is that he is headed right toward hardship. Now, we have to understand that not every hardship is the result of rebellion, okay? But every rebellion does have hardship attached to it. Again, maybe you're going through a hardship right now. Maybe you're going through a severe storm of life. Not every, I think we have to be careful, and not every storm of life is necessarily the result of a sinful choice in the past. But again, every sin does have a storm coming. Let that sink in for just a little bit. When you choose to pursue a life in rebellion against the Lord, you're headed into hardship. 
you're headed into a storm. And what we're going to discover this morning is that God's love, out of a heart of love for Jonah, out of a heart of care and concern for Jonah, God sends a severe storm to wake Jonah up, to get his attention, and to shake Jonah from that rebellious heart. This is the big idea for this morning. Maybe you want to write it down so you remember it as, as we're going through this teaching series. I, I really encourage you in your Bible, of your copy of God's Word, I'm, I'm the type where I underlined and I make notes along the way. Just as we walk through this book, this might be helpful for you for future reference as you look back on the book of Jonah down in, in years down the road. But this might even be something that you would want to write down, that God will send a severe mercy to save us from our rebellious hearts. That God has a way of sending a severe storm. That God has a way that God, out of His loving mercy for us, will send hardship to get our attention so that we'll come back to the Lord. I think one of the most dangerous places to be in, in life is for God to allow you to have what your sinful heart wants. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be where you actually get what your selfish heart wants. And this morning as I was woke up early this morning thinking about this lesson, understanding that I have to remind myself, right, when I'm preaching God's word, we're, we're dealing with real people who have real lives, who go through and experience real hardship. And so these truths, not only maybe are you experiencing real hardship, but we have children, or we have friends, or family, or loved ones, or neighbors, or other people who find themselves in deep hardship, in deep struggle. And, and maybe, maybe you have family members or loved ones who you know right now are living their life in rebellion against the Lord. They've grown up in the church. They were taught what, what is right and what is true, but they've chosen to be like Jonah and to go the completely opposite direction. And so I remind myself, I was standing outside this morning and I was thinking, man, I think one of the hardest parts about preaching and again, I'm thankful that God is doing the work, right? I'm just trying to be a, a, a mouthpiece. And I was reminded by a dear pastor friend who's been a mentor to Marin and I over the years. He said, Michael, he said, learn. He said, just let God's word do the work. Right? Just kind of get out of the way and let God's word do the work. And I, I really hope that's the case. And I hope that's the case with our hearts this morning. Because some of these truths are not easy to hear but they're truths nonetheless. Because we find here, Jonah is running in disobedience from the Lord. He's, he's living a life in clear rebellion to the clear call, instructions that God had given him. And I think the fact that, that Jonah is a prophet and he's running in rebellion makes this account almost even more stunning because he should have known better. <laughs> Notice, that it's almost as if we're, we're witnessing here a tug-of-war contest between Jonah and the Lord. Because as you read through this first chapter, and as you read through portions of chapter 2, you see this, again, it, I don't want to, I'll, I'll refer to it almost as a chess match, 
but, but it's, as if, it's as if God makes his move and then Jonah responds. And then God makes his move and then Jonah responds. Because you see here, right, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And so here's God making his move, sending his word. And then in verse 3, it begins, what does it say? But Jonah. <laughs> Jonah's like, uh, okay, this is God's move. This is my move. And then you look in verse 4, where it says, then the Lord, right? God then responds. And then in verse 5, the end of verse 5b, it says, but Jonah. And then we see again in verse, jumping down to verse 17, it says, now the Lord, the Lord is now responding to him. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Jonah now prayed. And then in chapter, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, and the Lord. And so we, we get this sense of this tug of war contest between Jonah, the prophet, and God, and they're going back and forth, back and forth. Does that ever describe your life when it comes to God's word and God's commands and doing what you know you should be doing, but yet in our own selfish hearts, understanding this tug of war? I think we are reminded of the Apostle Paul there in Romans chapter 7, where even the Apostle Paul says, I know what I should do, but inside my heart, I struggle to do it. Again, it's this tug of war. I think we should be encouraged and be reminded, as we even see here in Jonah, that God is actively involved in each of our lives. That God is orchestrating. He's, he's involved in what we are doing and, and how we are responding. Even when we are responding to Him in rebellion, God has not left us. Think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 139 and just listen to these words. The psalmist says this, speaking to God, he says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down you, Lord, are familiar with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, right? This idea of you stitch me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty, lofty for me to attain. The great blessing in this reality is that as God's children, as members of his family, God is consistently at work in our lives. Often God's work seems to be behind the scenes and in ways that we will never know, but God is working in us and through us nonetheless. And what we see here in Jonah is that even in our disobedience, God is still working. And that God will act. Okay, now this can be, this can be a hard reality to hear, but, but it should be a great comfort to you. That when you choose to live a life of rebellion, or when you choose to rebel against the Lord, that God will respond. And that God will bring 
some sort of discipline, some sort of, as we're talking about it this morning, some sort of severe storm, some sort of severe mercy to get your attention, to wake you up from your sleep so that you would turn back to him. And so we see this. Look, look right there, right here in this verse, verse 4. All right, God sent a severe storm. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind, verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. It's such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. <laughs> right. Some versions, some translations uh, might say something to the extent of, then, then the Lord hurled, right? Or he threw, the, the picture is that of, that, that th- think of an athlete, right? Think of a baseball pitcher, who is capable of taking this little ball and throwing it at remarkable speeds, right? Jaden, I mean, I'm looking at a baseball family here, right? Speeds, Jaden, what's the fastest ball you ever pitched? Catch. 96 miles an hour, right? Man, that's smoking. That is hot. I'm surprised you still have a hand. Think about, so the, the picture is, with great accuracy, with great intensity, just like a pitcher who's there on the mound is accurate and is full of intention, full of speed. The, 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 the writer here gives us this understanding that then the Lord sent. Some translations, again, hurled a storm. What we see is that this is a direct sign of God's sovereign hand in Jonah's life. This is a reminder that God was not going to let Jonah get away with his rebellion. The storm which the sailors faced was a direct result of God's loving and merciful hand toward Jonah. Let me say that again. The storm that the sailors faced that Jonah was in the midst of was a direct result of God's loving and merciful hand. It was a severe mercy, to be sure, but it was a mercy nonetheless. Scripture tells us that that this particular storm was sent specifically by God for the means of getting Jonah's attention. It says this great wind, it stirred the waters of the sea, that it was a consequence of Jonah's disobedience, and it came with a suddenness and a a fury. I've mentioned it already, but I want to remind us that all sin, all rebellion, has a brewing storm attached to it. The storm may not roll in immediately, but the distant thunderclouds will roll in eventually. And the Bible instructs us in Numbers chapter 32 that to be sure that your sin will eventually find you out. Or in Galatians chapter 6, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to, to, pleasure, to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And again, every, storm has a, every sin has a brewing storm attached to it. And it's through these storms that God has a way of getting our attention, a way of drawing us to himself. God's motive in the storm that we're reading about 
for, that, was, that was hurled, that was sent specifically like a pitcher with great intention, with great speed, with great accuracy, that that storm was not intended to be a means of wrath against Jonah, but instead a means of God's mercy. See, the severe mercy that Jonah was about to experience is that he's going to be an inch away from death. That Jonah is, is nearly, well, he's, he's beyond, as we're going to learn in, in the next week and the weeks following, that Jonah's actually beyond the jaws of death and that he's, he's, he's in the belly of the whale. And yet through this, he realizes that he has nowhere else to turn but the Lord. And that's what a severe mercy does in our hearts. It reminds us that we have nowhere else to turn but from the Lord, but to the Lord. Imagine if God had allowed Jonah to actually get what he wanted. I'd imagine, just picture that, right? If Jonah had boarded a ship to Tarshish, which he did, if he had slept most of the way there, maybe binged on some Netflix as he was going along the way too, maybe had some Twizzlers in his pockets that he snacked on on the ship, and if he had actually eventually safely arrived in Tarshish without incident, right, to begin a new life, to eventually retire to comfort and ease, boy, it sounds enticing, doesn't it? Not having to go and preach to those, those Ninevites that Jonah had great hatred in his heart toward. It sounds honestly probably what a lot of our hearts prefer. It re- reflects what some of us have considered when facing a calling from the Lord that maybe seems too difficult to obey. Have you ever experienced a calling from the Lord Have you ever experienced a command from the Lord that seems too difficult for you to obey? The ship sailing to Tarshish sounds pretty pretty good, doesn't it? But in the eternal scheme, what good would that have done to Jonah? What good would it do to Jonah? What good would it do to us to live a life of comfort and ease but be far from the Lord? What good is it if you actually get what you want, if you gain the whole world and all its pleasures and all its comforts and all of its entertainments? That's what Jonah wanted to sail off into the sunset to. What good is all that if you forfeit your soul and live without the presence of the Lord in your life? So we see that through this severe storm, God was ultimately saving Jonah from his own heart. Because the most dangerous place for you to be is for God to hand you over to your sin to allow you to get what your sinful heart wants. And so God is going to bring storms into our lives to draw us into closer fellowship with Him. Even in discipline, when we respond rightly, we find ourselves experiencing the comfort of our Heavenly Father. Right? God is going to use severe mercies. He's going to use severe storms to draw us closer to ourselves. Through that discipline, we should be grateful that God disciplines those he loves. Children, you should be grateful that your mother and father discipline you. Parents, if you truly love your young children, you should be disciplining them when they disobey. Right? When a parent disciplines their child in a loving and a caring way, and the child responds in humility, can I tell you what the final scene of that discipline is? It's embrace. It's an embrace. 
It's where the child comes to realize the love of a father or a mother. And they come to realize that the discipline is is certainly a pain. But it's a pain that is saving them from a much greater pain that is coming down the road. So God is chasing after Jonah with his mercy through a severe storm. And so when those storms arrive in our lives, and I know many of us, some of us are experiencing storms. Even this morning as I was praying with the Dills uh, prior to the service, and I invite all of you to join us in prayer from 9 to 9.30 every Sunday morning. And as we were going through the prayer list, praying for many of your names, thinking through, there are members of our church family who are experiencing storms and trials. Not necessarily all of them because of the consequence of sin, but all of them because of the love of a heavenly father who through them is going to work in our hearts. Which then... Leads us to our second point is that God is stirring up desperation. That through this storm, God is he's stirring the pot. He's creating a desperation there on board of that ship. We see there in verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And so with great accuracy, God is riling up the waves Right? He's, he's, he's stirring the bathtub a little bit like a, a child, right? We've seen a, a child who has a boat there in the bathtub and they're making the waves splash up against the side of, of, of the bathtub there. God is riling up the waves. waves. This perfect storm, it was unmatched by any other storm previous to the sailors' prior experience. It's the type of storm that these sailors, these time-tested and hard, sea-hardened sailors... This is the type of storm that they're going to tell their grandchildren about. It would be one thing for the passengers of a ship like this to be threatened by a storm. But to consider that the sailors themselves were fearing for their lives. You know it's a real storm at that point in time. The level of concern that the shipmen had gives us a glimpse into just how severe the storm really was. And what we find is these sailors are responding in complete desperation. What did they start doing? They're dumping their cargo. You notice that, right? What does it say? It says they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Think about the economic reality of this. The economic reality of these men tossing overboard, what they're tossing overboard is their means of livelihood. I mean, these men are incredibly desperate. They're running out of options to save themselves. They're crying out to, right? Now, now, now you have these seaworthy sailors who know how to swear like a sailor. All of a sudden, they're calling on all their gods, right? Now they're these religious people calling out on their gods, and they're dumping the cargo overboard. Cargo ships such as this one, this is how goods were transported in this day. And so with every box, every crate, every barrel that's tossed over the side, it's another share of their profit literally going down the drain. 
the future hopes of wealth and profit are sinking into the deep sea and all of it is tossed aside in hopes of buying favor. What are they trying to do? They're trying to buy favor with the powerless gods that they, that they worshipped. There's a certain desperation, isn't there, when we experience a storm of life. There's a certain dependence that we learn through those storms. I want you to think about your life. If you've ever experienced God's discipline, if you've ever experienced a storm, if you've ever experienced a great difficulty in your life, how do you tend to respond? I don't know about you, but my response is I start find myself talking to the Lord a lot more. Sometimes in anger and frustration, right? And other times in complete prayer and desperation. When do we find ourselves the most prayerful? When we're desperate. Isn't that typically the case? Your prayer life seems to have a way of ramping up. When do you find yourself looking to the Lord the most for answers? When you have nowhere else to go. When do you find yourself being reminded of God's promises? When you realize that everything that you've been trusting is not trustworthy. And it's in times of desperation. The psalmist even declares in Psalm 119, it says, before I was afflicted, let me say that again, and listen, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And the Lord in his divine hand and providence has now sent a storm that we're all hearing on the rooftop, right? <laughs> again, Psalm 119, what did, what did the psalmist say? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now... I keep your word. The psalmist has in mind that through the affliction, he experienced a desperation. And that through that desperation, what did it do? It brought him back to the Lord. We have the tendency to get very spiritual when we're in the middle of a, of a storm. Affliction has a way of making us feel our desperation for God. And we cry out to him. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians boasted more in his weakness than in his strength because he knew that when he was weak, the strength of God was available in and through him. But who's, getting, who's desperate in this situation? Who's desperate there? Is it Jonah? Who's desperate? It's the sailors. What is Jonah doing? Jonah is still asleep. How many of you all are deep sleepers? Right? I know some of you are deep sleepers because you sleep every Sunday morning at about 10.30. Right? Jonah is still asleep. He's still asleep. Look there in verse, at the end of verse 5. But Jonah, 
Okay, again, there's but Jonah, right? The Lord hurls, a, hurls a, a storm his direction. And what's Jonah's response? But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and he fell into a deep sleep. Jonah's heart, here's what we see here, is that Jonah's heart had become hardened to the Lord. It had become callous to living in obedience to God. It is possible for us to become so steeped in our rebellion that we miss the circumstances of the storm and we sleep right through them. Think about that. It's possible for us to become so hardened toward the circumstances of the storm is that we miss God trying to get our attention. If you remember here in this account, how bad is the storm? It says that the boat is about ready to break up, right? The boat is about ready to shatter into pieces. And what is Jonah doing? He's, he's asleep. You see, the reason why Jonah was able to sleep is because he had convinced himself that he, that he had made it, that he was safe, that he had somehow sailed into the sunset and that somehow he was outside of God's jurisdiction, yet all the while, Jonah is in grave danger. I wonder, how many of us are like Jonah? How many of us are like Jonah? Is that God is trying to get our attention, but yet we're sleeping right through it. Right? We've convinced ourselves that our rebellion against God is somehow insignificant. That maybe that sinful life choice that you're making really doesn't matter and you're just asleep through it we tell ourselves right we remind ourselves inside our heart we know that what we're doing is wrong but God is the God of forgiveness and God's just going to forgive me because that's what God is supposed to do right I wonder if maybe your heart is callous in the same way that Jonah's heart was callous In addressing the deep deep callousness of Jonah's heart, what we uncover is that Jonah had a deep-seated hatred and bitterness toward the people of Nineveh, right? His enemies. I mean, we learned this last Sunday. The reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because Jonah didn't want them to experience the, the mercy of God. And so he goes the other direction. And when you realize, what you come to realize is that Jonah, through this book, we're going to understand, is that Jonah would rather die then obey God and take the message of mercy and forgiveness to his enemies. I mean, we have to safely assume that Jonah's heart was very callous to the Ninevites, right? And that's what sin does, though, isn't it? Tim Keller tells us that sin always hardens the conscience It locks you in the prison of your own defensiveness and rationalization and it eats you up slowly from the inside. See, Jonah sailing on that ship to to Tarshish was was the, the demonstration of his hardened heart not only toward God but toward other people because he had allowed this callousness to develop in his heart because he had allowed this sin for so long to just go unchecked. Jonah would rather die than take the message of God's mercy to the, pe- to the people of Nineveh. His heart, his heart was that hard. And yet you consider the Apostle Paul there in the New Testament who says he would rather, if, he, if it were possible, Paul says, I would trade away my salvation. 
so that the Israelites would come to believe in Jesus. You contrast that. Jonah's heart had become hardened. It had become calloused because he had allowed some sin, he had allowed some bitterness in his heart to go unchecked. I wonder, is there a sin? Is there a bitterness? Is there something in your heart that you're allowing to go unchecked that is eating away at you? Are there sins in your life that are causing your heart to want to run away from the Lord? Maybe it is an unchecked bitterness that you have toward another person. Maybe it's an unchecked relationship where you're crossing lines that shouldn't be crossed. Maybe it's an unchecked selfishness where you're hoarding money in fear rather than sharing in generosity. Maybe it's an unchecked mouth where you're speaking words of gossip and slander. Maybe it's an unchecked heart of deceit and you're finding yourself having to lie and cover up your actions. Maybe it's an unchecked heart of pride where you're constantly looking down on other people. Right? The only, how does Jonah get to a point to where he would rather die than take God's mercy? Where his heart would become so hardened toward his enemies, toward these people. He's allowing sin to reign in his heart and he's not turning from it. And I wonder, is that true of your heart? True of your life? Well, this then, I guess here in verse 6, I put this up maybe a little bit too early. Here's then what God does, right? God sends a severe storm. It gets the attention of the sailors, but Jonah's still sleeping. And so what does, God, what does God do? God sends now the captain of the ship. Look there in verse 6. It says, the captain went to Jonah, went to him, and he said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that, he, that we will not perish. What does God do? God uses a pagan to get the prophet's attention. It's supposed to be the other way around, isn't it? Right? This, this account is full of irony. Right? But God uses a pagan captain to get the prophet Jonah's attention. When it should have been Jonah, the prophet, getting the pagan's attention. But that's how God works. Did you know that God is going to use other people to get our attention in our lives? When you're running away from the Lord whether it's a severe storm or someone else stepping into our lives, God will bring people into our lives, into, into conversation with us to help us see our need to turn from Him. It seems that Jonah would have never been content waking up from his sleep. He would have rather drowned in his rebellion rather than return to the Lord in obedience. And so the, the captain comes, shows up there at his cabin, and he says, get up. The captain provided Jonah with a well-deserved rebuke. Is there someone in your life who's trying to get your attention? Who's trying to help you wake up from your sleep and your slumber of sin? And how are you responding The value of other Christians, the value of being a part of a church family like this is that we can help each other out in these ways. But we don't do it very often, do we? 
right? When was the last time you, you came alongside another brother or sister in the Lord and just put your arm around them and said, listen, I've got concern about some of the decisions that, that you've been making. Or there's a sin in your life. When was the last time we did that with one another? To help call us out, to help wake us up. And when that person comes, when God uses another person to get our attention, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to respond with a callous heart? Or are we going to respond and and welcome that rebuke? So the captain tells Jonah to get up. And we're going to see next week Jonah's response is still a hardened heart. Instead, what does he say? He doesn't repent. He doesn't turn from it. What does he do? He says, throw me overboard. I'd rather die than obey the Lord. And we'll find that out next week. This morning, I just wonder, is there a severe mercy that you're walking through right now? Is there a trial? Is there a circumstance? Is there, is there a situation? Is there a sin that you're participating in right now? And maybe the storm hasn't come, but you know that there's a storm on its way. And I wonder, are you willing to turn from that? And are you willing to repent and walk back in obedience to the Lord from that? And if you are in the middle of, maybe you are in the middle of a severe storm, maybe you're in the middle of a trial, I do wonder, what are you learning through it and how Are you allowing God to use it in your life? Are you turning back to the Lord through this time?